Hello and welcome to Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. I'm your host, Kim Smith. We're on episode 185, Operation Royal Cover-Up. As we have been walking our way through 2 Samuel, and especially through the life of King David, we have come to a section that is very familiar to people who are not even Bible readers. So many of them have heard the story of David and Bathsheba, or they've seen it portrayed on the big screen or the little screen. It's a story that has kind of taken on a life of its own over the years, and one that is often referred to when talking about sinful cover-ups. Because in this story, you have a man who is known in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. And he not only abused his power, as we talked in last week's podcast, and had an adulterous, at least one time, affair with his neighbor slash one of his military men's wives. But we are going to see this week that he takes it so far beyond the affair. And it it caused me to start thinking a whole lot about sinful cover-ups. I googled cover-ups that were famous, and there were many that popped up, whether they had to do with government, whether they had to do with royalty. And one of them reminded me, and you can hear my voice hesitating, reminded me of a cover-up that I learned about, I guess, a couple of years ago now. And instead of talking about the damage of, let's say, the cover-up of Chernobyl or some other event, I'd like to start out today's podcast with very carefully and discreetly talking about a cover-up where I would have been, as well as thousands more, on the outside until the sin, and it's not just sin, the multiple sins were publicly revealed. So, Back in the last century, there was a person who perpetrated multiple crimes. But because of who they were, and because of the organization 
to which they were attached, many people in power went above and beyond to cover up the deeds. And what that did of many things, one of them, and I, the one I think is the worst, is it allowed this person to continue to walk through society, to walk into situations with no one in the room being the wiser and to then perpetrate these crimes on others when this was all exposed. There was still a cover-up from many different directions. And as being one of those people who was in the dark and had no clue of the depravity of someone that I interacted with thousands of times. I was angry. I was angry at the list of people and organizations who had known the truth, had known of the evil, and had chosen, instead of bringing it to the light, had chosen to sweep it under the rug, make monetary payments to keep it under the rug, and allow this person to continue in their evil ways. As you could tell from my voice, this, is, this one is very personal to me. But the fact is, we all know of cover-ups. Whether it be recent developments where there have been cover-ups of incredible magnitude within churches where clergy have sinned against others and have been allowed to leave without the police being called and they move to the next place. I thank God for those who are in ministry, who love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and live by integrity. I thank God for them. But I pray a hedge of protection around the people who are in congregations where that is not the case. Today we are going to talk about, even further, King David. We've spent the last two to three weeks just kind of leading up to how David got himself in this mess. And we're going to read all of 2 Samuel 11 today. Because in order to look at the cover-up, you need to know what we're covering up. Um, and in our case, what we're uncovering. 
And I want you to think like in your own life, is there a cover up in your life that you've failed to admit even to God? Learn from King David and come clean today. That is your weekly assignment feature. I want to read three verses that are from Psalm 32 that were written by David. And we can, we really have no doubt what he is referring to in his own life. There are multiple places in scripture, multiple places in the Psalms where you can tell that it was David writing out of this time. Psalm 51 is one of them. Psalm 32, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. As we go through the text of today, I'm going to pray right now. Dear God, I pray that with each person within the sound of my voice, if there is something that they are trying to cover up, that they are trying to deny the sin in their life, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would search them and know their hearts. You would test them and know their anxious thoughts. You would point out any way in them that offends you. And you would lead them in the way to everlasting life. I pray that you would not give them a minute of peace until they make their peace with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 2 Samuel 11, starting at verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Reba. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Our first week talking about this, we talked about the fact that one of the reasons David fell into temptation, or he was even exposed to temptation, was he was in the wrong place to begin with. He shouldn't have even been there. He should have been leading his army to fight the Ammonites. But instead, he was in the wrong place by his own choice. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty but taking a bath. Well, we talked that week about the fact that we, we are going to see things, and we're going to hear things, and we're going to feel things. Like we are going to be... We can't avoid all temptation in life. It is not possible. But what we do when we are tempted, that speaks volumes. Number one, David was in the wrong place by his own choices. He shouldn't have been there. Number two, when he was there, he looked out and he saw Bathsheba bathing. Well, he saw. Like, that. can't, can't rewind, can't take that back. But if David was where he needed to be spiritually, he would have turned to God and said, God, please purge my mind of those visuals that I just saw 
uh, I pray blessings upon this lady and I like, you know, but that wasn't what he did. Verse three, instead of going to God, he sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Well, like when you are tempted, you have something come across your mind. If you do not nip it in the bud immediately and turn and run, as we talked about the example of Joseph in the Old Testament, of the differences between him and David and how they handle temptation, instead of David turning and running to God and begging him to cleanse his mind, instead he starts inquiring who in the world is this beautiful woman. And then verse 4, as we talked about last week, then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. So verse 4, we're going to also read it. I read out of the NLT because to me it's more um, user-friendly. It's easier to understand, but sometimes I'm going to read out of the ESV, which is the English Standard Version, which is more a word-for-word -word translation. So verse 4 in the ESV says, So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. And I don't think it can be more clear than that. And last week I read out of two other translations that said the exact same thing. We talked about the fact that this not only has to do with adultery, which it definitely does. Because David was married not to one, not to two. Not, he was married to a few, which that's his own problem to begin with. But this is a married woman. So we've got problems all over the place. And he is a person of power. He can say, go get her and his men are going to. And she, as a servant of the king, is supposed to obey. As we talked last week, if somebody who's in the royal family or somebody who is in the upper echelons of society call for you, like you are disobeying a direct order if you do not go. And so there was that whole idea of the, the whole, the pur not purpose, the whole idea of the balance of power that David abused on top of physically having a sexual relationship with Bathsheba. There's just so many layers to it. But I want you to think through this as we go through the rest of this. I want you to look at how many different ways that David sins. Because not only is he in the wrong place at the wrong time because he didn't go do what he was supposed to do, then he sees this tempting sight and instead of turning away, he inquires and then he abuses his power and sends for them to bring her to him. And he has a sexual experience with her. But it doesn't stop there. David, for at least nine months, lives in sinful rebellion. So as we saw in Psalm 32, where it says, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally I confessed, and the word finally is, is totally appropriate. As we walk through this with him, we're just wanting to just strangle him and go, David, wake up, look at what you're doing. But he didn't. 
Finally, I confessed all my sins to you. I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. And that's a story for another day. But in this, watch the continued sin in David's life. And how many people that are involved in his sinful choices. It, it's us. You know, we look at it and we, we're going to get upset at David and rightfully so. There's not a doubt that David was in the wrong again and again and again and again and again. As opposed to Uriah who does the right thing again and again and again. But I want you to think about how many times have you done something similar where you have sinned and then you have repeated over and over different ways to cover up said sin, just making a really bad situation even worse. Listen to David as he continues to heap black mess on top of black mess. Verse 5, later when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Then David sent word to Joab. So Joab is the commander of the army. Joab is one of David's relatives. And now Joab is involved in the sin. So, so far we've had David. We've had his messengers who had to go get Bathsheba and bring her. We have Bathsheba. We now have Joab. It says, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent, to, sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. In other words, David is trying to do small talk with Uriah. Like he's brought him in from the battle. This is a really important battle. Uriah has to be wondering, why am I here? He has no idea why he's here. Then it says, then he told Uriah, go on home and relax. David even sent him a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, What's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away so, for so long? Uriah replied, The ark, that being the ark of the covenant, and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents. And Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home? to wine and dine and sleep with my wife, I swear that I would never do such a thing. Now, we could have done a lesson. We're not going to. But we could have done an entire lesson on a character profile of David at this point in his life and Uriah. So David being Israelite, David being the king of Israel, and we've got Uriah the Hittite, a non-Israelite, who is fighting in the Israelite army, and we have no idea what his relationship is with the Lord. Like we, we don't know, but we see the character of this man. Like he is so overwhelmed with concern for the troops that he's had to leave behind. And I just, he's got to be wondering, why am I here? Why am I not fighting with my men? We find out not in this section, it'll be a long ways away, but we find out that out of David, so David had his really close 
guys who were his mighty, mighty men. And then he had like 30 of them and Uriah is listed in that. So he's one of his best military men that he pulls off the line in order to try to get him home to cover up because he's like, oh, Uriah is going to go. He's going to have sex with Bathsheba and he's going to think this is his child. Only Bathsheba and I will know the difference, which is not the truth because Bathsheba's messengers and all these people. But David is not thinking clearly. When you are trying to cover up sin, you are not going to be thinking clearly and you are not going to be able to plug all the holes. But even if you could, even if you could pull it off for a short season of time, as we've seen reminded in Psalm 32, God is not mocked. God is not like, oh, I didn't see that. Like you can try to cover it from other people. You can even try to deny it yourself, but you cannot cover up your sin from the God who sees all, knows all, who is already before you. He's already there before you're there. Uriah, oh my. Verse 12, well, stay here today, David told them, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. So David, David's list of sins is, is getting crazy at this point. He is trying every way. His abuse of power over and over and over again. He is using every way he thinks possible to try to get Uriah to go home so that his sin with Bathsheba will be covered up and nobody will know. And Uriah, this man of integrity, this warrior, this one that have, would have laid down his life for David, David is abusing his power, trying everything he can to manipulate the situation, but Uriah isn't playing. Uriah is going to be the man of integrity and just see how bad this gets. Verse 14. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. Now David is guilty of murder. Did he physically kill Uriah? No, he did not. Did he conspire to get him killed? Absolutely. And Joab, David has involved Joab, and not only Joab, but the other troops are involved in the, you've, like the questions, the question bubbles that should have been above their head as they're going, why in the world, then pull back so he will be killed? Why in the world, like they've got to be looking at each other going, why? Leave no man behind, you know, the military, the, the U.S. military. Like, why in the world are we pulling back and leaving him up there by himself? Like, it, this, like 
David has now, in his cover-up, has involved so many people. His sin that he does not want exposed has now exposed so many people to the questions, to the wondering of, like, what in the world are we doing? And David is not covering up anything. He's just making a really bad situation much worse. Verse 18, then Joab sent a battle report to David. He told this messenger, so now the messenger's involved in this, report all the news of the battle to the king. But he might get angry and ask, why did the troops go so close to the city? Didn't they know they would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Abimelech, son of Gideon, killed at Thebes by a woman who threw a millstone down on him from the wall? Why would you get so close to the wall? Then tell him Uriah the Hittite was killed too. So the first part of that with the wasn't a Abimelech, son of Gideon. So we talked about that in the early episodes of this podcast. So we began in the book of Joshua, then we went to the book of Judges. And that account is in the book of Judges. It is one wild story, no doubt about it. But the most important part is the ending. Then tell him Uriah the Hittite was killed too. And the messenger is going to think that David is going to be very upset that this strong military man has been killed. But he has no idea of the plot. So verse 22, so the messenger went went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. The enemy came out against us in the open fields, he said. And as we chased them back to the city gate, the archers on the wall shot arrows at us. Some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. Verse 25, well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. So he's just flat lying now with his words of, you know, say this encouragement to Joab as if this, Joab cares because Joab knows the story and this poor messenger's in the middle. Then we've got verse 26. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Let's go to the ESV for those last couple of verses. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Absolutely, the thing. There's like a whole long, long, long list of things that David did that displeased the Lord. There's not a question. One of the things, as I was looking at commentaries, a week or so ago, was just wondering how much of this that Bathsheba knows. I mean, Bathsheba knows that she's pregnant. Does she know that Uriah came home but didn't come home? Like, I I don't know. Like, we, we don't know for sure. We don't know if she knows about David's manipulation to try to get him to come home to her. We have no idea if Bathsheba knows that David set Uriah up. I mean, did they go through their married life and Bathsheba not know? Or had she heard the rumors 
about, hey, I think you just should know how Uriah died. Like, we don't know. I guess one of those bazillion questions to ask when I get to heaven. Um, but that's one that I'd hate to ask. I, I can ask Uriah if he is there. Um, but I'd hate to ask Bathsheba because that would definitely bring back some really bad memories. You know, people have made this into this big love story somehow or another, which is flat wrong. But I just wonder what Bathsheba was thinking and feeling. Her to go to the king's house because she has the king's child. She's already been summoned there once, and now her husband has died. So she probably was not very upset to go to the king's house and become one of his wives because at least she would be taken care of. Because you've got to remember that widows during that time did not have a way to take care of themselves financially. you got to put yourself back in that time. But this, this cover-up, this cover-up that David did on so many levels. And as we look at that, and as we can get so infuriated at him and go, if you had just been where you were supposed to be, this entire chapter wouldn't have been written. Number one, a good warrior would still be alive, and you wouldn't have impregnated your neighbor's wife. You wouldn't have been guilty of murder. Like, the list is on and on and on. But how about you? When I talk about Operation Royal Cover-Up, is there something that automatically comes to your mind that you just immediately go, well, I can relate to David because I... Never, ever, ever want anyone to know that I did this. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. But God does. And so we go back to Psalm 32. And I'm going to pray this. Never tried to do this, but I'm going to try to pray this for each of you. And just trust that the Lord will do what only he can do. Dear Father, as I pray through Psalm 32, these words of David, I know that there is someone within the sound of my voice who has refused to confess her sin or his sin. And that their body has wasted away, maybe not outwardly, but maybe inwardly just because they've been eaten up. And they may very well have groaned all day long, all night long. And day and night, your hand of discipline has been on them, whether they have been trying to run from it or not. They know, they know, they know, they know that you, because you love them, you have had your hand heavy on them. They have felt as though their strength has evaporated like water in the summer heat because they are not plugged into the life-giving force that is your Holy Spirit living in them because they have quenched the Holy Spirit by their behavior and by their attempts to cover up. But I pray, dear God, that just as it says in verse 5, I pray that they will have the courage to confess all 
of their sins. Dear Father, I pray that you would reveal each of those sins to them at this very moment. Dear God, I pray that whether it's like a slide projector going on in their minds or you're just prompting their heart, I pray, dear God, that you would remind them of each of the sins and that you would open up their spiritual eyes and ears to see possibly even sins that they have not realized they've committed. And I pray that they will stop trying to hide their guilt, that they will say to themselves that I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and that you, dear God, will forgive them because you have promised that you will forgive us. If we are willing to confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I pray that they will know that if they come totally clean with you, that their guilt will be gone. That does not mean you will take away all the consequences. You did not take away the consequences of David's affair with Bathsheba. We will learn about that in future weeks. But dear God, you did cleanse him. You did cleanse him and you did use him mightily even after the bad choices that he made. I pray, dear God, that you would, you would cleanse somebody today. Dear God, that they would hand over the dirty laundry that they've been hiding in the back of the closet, hoping that no one ever knew. And dear God, that they would come clean with you and that you would forgive them, that you would envelop them in your loving arms, that you would let them know that there is not one sin that they can commit that is beyond the power of Christ's blood. And may they give you all praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is one of those that every last one of us have either covered up, maybe not even as much our own sin, but the sins of others, as I talked about in the very beginning. Like, is there somebody in your life that you know they are absolutely sinning, violating laws, damaging others, and you're helping with the cover-up? Like, look at how many people helped with this cover-up, from messengers to Joab. All of them were involved in this cover-up. They allowed it to continue. Are you someone who is helping with the cover-up. That does not honor the Lord in any way. Come clean and let God show you how to take the next step. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, you can get to the, quote, hidden episodes, those early episodes. The link is at the bottom. We've got our Facebook group, Encouraging Others and Loving Jesus. We've got our Instagram up and running, Encouraging Others and Loving Jesus. You know, just so much going on. It is podcast 185, and that still blows my mind. I can't believe that God has given me this divine privilege 
to talk with you each and every week about God's Word. And I know that chances are really good that this side of heaven, I'm not going to know how God uses this. Unless you choose to reach out to me, my email address is encouragingothersinlovingjesus at gmail.com. I thank you for those who have and have shared with me, you know, what God is doing through this podcast. I am very thankful. But I'm just going to keep tossing this out and trusting that the Lord that called me is going to be faithful because he is. He's going to be faithful in ways that I cannot imagine. Next week, as I click on the the next arrow, I know what the next story is. It's one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. Not because of David's sin that gets called out. That is definitely not why I like the story so much. But it's the wise way in which the prophet Nathan rebukes David and how we can all learn because we are all going to be called by God to call others to account and how we handle those interactions can make a world of difference in how the person responds. So next week we'll be in second Samuel 12 verses one through 12. Let's see, probably a little further than that. Probably maybe to 14. I think something like that, but Nathan rebuking David. So thank you so much for tuning in. Remember it is free to not only listen to this podcast, but it is free for you to share with others. And in 15 more podcast episodes, we will be launching the next section of this Encouraging Others and Loving Jesus project that God has placed on my heart. And I'll be giving you more information on that probably in about five episodes. We will start laying more of the groundwork for what is next in this ministry. So just remember, it's always a trust and obey kind of day.